electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, markets in rally mode today. More new records for the S&P and NASDAQ, and the Dow just over a percent from notching one of its own. So where can you find opportunity? We'll get some answers. And later, the clock is tick-tocking on a deal for the popular app. Will one get done, and what it could mean for the others in the space? Plus, we've been all over the act hours moves and some red-hot software names. We'll break down all the results from CrowdStrike and Cloudera. And we've got another edition of Total Request Fast Money coming your way at the top of the hour. So tweet us all your burning trading questions at CNBC Fast Money. We'll answer them live on the air. But we start off with a catalyst that helped drive stocks higher late in the session. New guidance from the CDC on when we can expect a coronavirus vaccine. Our Meg Terrell joins us now with the developing details. Meg. Hi, Melissa. Well, this information comes in the form of a letter that CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield sent to governors. We have confirmed this letter uh, and have a copy of it, uh, where essentially he tells the governors that uh, Health and Human Services and the CDC are, quote, rapidly making preparations to implement large-scale distribution of COVID-19 vaccines in the fall. And he asks that as they make these preparations, that they consider waiving requirements that would prevent any facilities from becoming fully operational by November 1st. Now, of course, this is causing a lot of questions about whether there will be a vaccine by November 1st and a lot of folks saying, oh, that's very close to Election Day. Uh, my understanding of this from folks I've been talking with in the government is not that they are saying a vaccine will be ready by November 1st. And here, of course, we're showing you uh, the enrollment progress in the phase three trials from Pfizer and Moderna, which started in late July. They're both more than half enrolled. Uh, but what that November 1st deadline really is, is to encourage the states to start getting ready now. They are not not saying absolutely will we have a vaccine to start rolling out by then. They just want to make sure that the states are starting to get the uh, everything in place in order to be able to start rolling it out, even if only limited quantities are available and uh, available on an emergency use authorization basis to limited group smell. So they're not saying that there's going to be a vaccine November 1st. They're just trying to put everything in place in case we're lucky enough to have one uh, in a limited way that early. It certainly makes sense to plan ahead, Meg. But at the same time, the context of this is that it happens the day after the NIH and the, and the uh, FDA seem to have differing uh, viewpoints on convalescent plasma. So there's a real question about the politicization of this process for treatments as well as vaccines. Yeah, that politicization in recent days has only seemed to get worse with, as you just pointed out, sort of splintering uh, in government agencies over that data. You know, the FDA commissioner, Dr. Stephen Hahn, was really criticized for how he overstated the data supporting convalescent plasma for COVID-19. Uh, still, they issued that emergency use authorization. And then days later, the NIH came out and said their data weren't strong enough to support its use for COVID-19. So I was just talking with an expert uh, in public health who said, this is not good for shoring up public confidence in the government response right now. Right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, who's been following all the developments surrounding this. Um, Guy Down, we certainly saw a market reaction. Even if there is not a vaccine that is ready to be deployed, the fact that we are getting ready for it, 
that's a good sign, I guess. That's the way the markets took it, at least. Market interpreted it that way, no doubt about it. And to your point, it's good to be prepared without question. You know, but it's interesting, you know, the headline for these types of things, and we've seen many of them now over the last few months, always above the fold, first page, bold letters, and then the backtrack is typically, you know, third section below the fold. Nobody pays any attention to it, at least in terms of the market. And that's probably what we're setting ourselves up for now. Again, you know, I want to just be clear. I haven't believed this rally for a while, and I still don't believe it. And just quickly, you go back to the February highs when we made that, at that time, all-time high in the S&P. I think it was 33.93. The VIX at the time was trading with a 14 handle. Now, we have blown through those levels. And today, you saw VIX actually higher on the day, closing with a 26 handle. So you have one of the rare days, you know, for Karen where her long positions did really well and her protection did really well. I'll say this quickly. If the airlines believed it, if the cruise lines believed it, I think, I think, despite the moves they've had to the upside, those stocks would have been up anywhere from 7 to 10 percent, and we really didn't see it. So, you know, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, it's great news if it's true. But again, just label me a skeptic, Mel. Yeah. Dan, what do you... I go to Dan because I heard the word skeptic, and I immediately thought Dan Nathan... <laughs> Well, listen, I, I mean, if this is coming from the White House, you know, we know that they lie, cheat, bully, corrupt everyone and everything, every institution that has been in their way. And they're clearly doing that with these health organizations, the FDA, the CDC. This is a joke. No one's taking a Trump virus or, or vaccine anytime soon, not in 2020. So if the market is keying off that sort of sentiment, it, that doesn't make any sense. But I think going back to what Guy said, the fact that you see the VIX rising with the S&P making new highs every day, it is telling you that there is some skepticism out there. Um, I would mention, though, that you know to see Tesla and Apple sell off the way they did right out of the gates, but then see the market broaden out a little bit without having all that stuff, those epicenter stocks that Tom Lee likes to call them the hardest hit names from the pandemic. You had a lot of participation today, which I think is pretty mm -hmm. different than some of the um, just some of the some of the breadth that we've been talking about. It's pretty weak. You know, on the day that the S&P made a new all time high um, about two weeks ago, only six percent of the uh, members of the index made a new high. I think that was something that really caught people off size. Yet we've made a series of new highs. We're up probably five percent since then. That's, that's true in terms of the new highs, but in terms of the sectors that have finally participated, I mean, the fact that technology, that was not the sector that led us to new highs in today's session. Karen, it was industrials, it was financials. Um, that's, that's all got to be a good sign and maybe a, a sign that it's time for this rotation to, to take hold. We just had on Marco Kalanovich of J.P. Morgan yesterday, and I don't want to turn this into a political conversation, but the notion is that Election Day comes, Trump wins, and this sort of rotation will be put into motion, even stronger than what we're seeing right now, the rotation into value and cyclicals. Uh, I mean, I guess that that is definitely possible. And maybe the other part of the rally that was vaccine driven was also sort of if that were the case, the vaccine, a vaccine would re really be available, that that would increase the likelihood that Trump wins. And therefore, I guess the market likes that. But I, I, I mean, I agree with with Guy and Dan on the skepticism about mm -hmm. You know, the notion that, that, that this isn't political, but yet, would, you know, it'll probably be ready by early November. That's just ridiculous. So uh, I'm skeptical of that. I did think the breadth was good um, because some of the froth 
has just gotten to uh, you know absurd levels, and then there's some value stuff that hasn't. And so, like the banks today, it, I mean, it was nice. It was a rally. It wasn't as strong a rally as I would like, of course, because they're still down huge for the year, understandably. But uh, I, I'd like to see more of a rally there. I am. The first part of today, though, was rates were actually, 10-year real rates were actually negative, more negative, going south. And so the multiple for equities is going up when that keeps happening. Yep. And so that was really what was driving. It was just a, it was just, you know, that equity risk premium we talk about coming down, meaning the multiple is higher. And that's what I think was the first, I don't know, 200 points of today, which isn't a great thing to have. I'd much rather have the economy heating up and, um, and see that real rates are actually starting to move toward the positive. So it's, you know, some of the things were nice to make money on, but it wasn't, I didn't think it was a great day. Bono, what'd you make of today's action? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm really trying to channel my youthful exuberance, but I'm, I'm struggling to do so. You know, you come out and you see the ADP number, it's less than stellar. You have some positive manufacturing numbers. And now this, now this vaccine news, it just, it just doesn't seem genuine, you know. And, um, you know, there's been a bit of a push and pull between the CDC, the White House, and how information is being distributed. But the notion that we have breadth of a rally based on a, a pre-described date that's not necessarily, necessarily coming from the most confident of places definitely gives me pause here. I mean, it, it seems like we're looking to reinforce positive news and then discount any negative news. So that seems a bit disingenuous to me. So yeah, color me a skeptic. I'm in with the rest of the group. Wow. All you, I mean, Guy, Guy Adami, price is truth, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, I don't, I'm, I yeah, don't no, want to be Pollyanna no, here, but I feel like I have to because of the way you guys are talking about the markets. I, I feel like I have to stick up for them in some way. We are at new highs no, right to. now. We've got positive news towards a vaccine. If you do not believe in science, then go ahead and bet against the markets. If you believe in modern science, why not go with the markets? Yeah, no, it's fair. And I've said for a while, would you rather be, you know, would you rather be right or would you rather make money? So, I mean, the, the, trade the market you have, not the one you want. All those sayings come to pass now. And I've said for months, you know, I don't believe it. I've tried to find stocks I thought were going up. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. And the broader market to me is extraordinarily puzzling. It goes up on bad news. It goes up on good news. And it double counts and triple counts uh, some of these news cycles. Josh Brown mentioned that in the previous show. So it's wonderful to be long. And it's very easy to make fun of people like myself who try to poke holes in it and try to point out what possibly could go wrong. You know, I look around the landscape and I don't really like what I see other than the fact that the stock market goes up every single day. But again, I think it is worth mentioning, and you know, Bonowin spoke to this a few weeks ago when the VIX was trading higher on a market that was trading higher as well. At a certain point, uh, something's got to give. And I think the VIX here with a 26 handle that spent the, most of the day in the green is really trying to tell you something, that maybe people are buying protection, maybe that's a good thing. I just think the VIX is telling a much different story than the broader market. I will say this. You know, it's a, an hour ago, just as the market closed, President Trump tweeted out, the Dow Jones Industrial just closed above 29,000. You're so lucky to have me as your president. With Joe Hyden, it would crash. So, again, the market is what they're running on, without question. They'll, they'll conflate the market and the economy. And to his credit, he has said for a while that the market is a report card for his administration. And under those uh, 
premise and of those auspices, he's done extraordinarily well. The higher the market goes, the more chance that he's going to be reelected, re the more chance he has to be reelected, the higher the market goes. I said that yesterday. I'll say it again today. All right. Well, you like the panel out there might be worried that things have run a little bit too far too fast. But our next guest is uh, eyeing some opportunity in names that have rallied hard. It's time to go off the chart to Todd Gordon of Ascent Wealth Partners. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Uh, first, if we could start with the indexes, um, you know, let's talk about first earnings. Uh, we see signs that they're bottoming, recovering, obviously stating the obvious, the stay-at-home work-at-home names in, in Q2 and the NASDAQ has exploded. But in the NASDAQ, is it overdone or is it in bubble uh, territory? One indicator I watch is average range, to get a little technical here, but you normalize it with percentages so you can compare apples to apples. And if you, if you take a look at the trailing 20 months in the NASDAQ, um, the average month-over-month -month range over the last 20 months is 9%. Compare that to the tech bubble of 2000, it got up to 15% before we started to turn lower. So in terms of vol expansion, as Guy was just saying, we're still a ways away from that in the current uh, bull market. So we believe a rehappening, uh, a reopening is, is occurring here. Uh, you should see signs of that in Q3, Q4 earnings. We look at the S&P, let's look at where we are there, tech aside. You've seen two major corrections since a credit crisis low. This one you'll notice is different. The prior two corrections were sort of consolidating volatility contraction. This one is tracing guys higher highs, lower lows. This is expanding volatility. That's why I think we're starting to see a, a mean reversion from a very low volatility range moving up. So uh, we should actually continue a higher VIX. That doesn't mean that the market has to sell off. So with that range, a uh, close above 3,600 in the S&P on a month over month, month basis, would actually say the S&P correction's over. So we're cautiously optimistic, uh, very accommodative Fed, and as you guys are mentioning, uh, hopes for a vaccine. So one name that's no surprise uh, is Zoom, very overbought. Uh, we trimmed a portion of the position yesterday. We bought it in March. It's run into a parallel channel resistance on the weekly chart. We're still bullish the story uh, with the new work at home dynamic. I think it's our reality for a while, even if COVID retreats. I think Google meetings and go to webinar and those other, they're not really gaining market share. So we still like the Zoom name from the corporate side. Uh, we have a lot of stay-at-home stocks, Zoom and Peloton and others, but we don't have a lot of uh, COVID names in our portfolio now. Not ready to dip our toe in yet. Not so in the airlines, hotel or travel. One name that we did add yesterday uh, that we have held is Disney. Uh, we don't think it's overbought or oversold. We did close Disney in March, but we just reopened the position yesterday. Um, we think it can fall back on streaming, strong library of content, movies coming out, competing with Netflix. And if you look at the gap Netflix has created over Disney, it might be a little bit of, uh, of uh, catch up. And if the parks reopen with a vaccine, they're going to regain a lot of lost revenue. All right. Thanks, Todd. Good to see you, Todd Gordon, Ascent Wealth Partners. Um, which do you like? That wasn't a would you rather. Which do you like, Bonoin, Zoom or Disney? Uh, in terms of a company, I'll go with Zoom. Go with Zoom. I mean, Disney, honestly, I need to give credit to Tim. He's the one who's called this. He's been early to this thing. I I'm inclined in terms of what I expect to be the short-term participant to the upside. I expect it to be Disney only because it has a multiple that I don't need guys slide roll to pull out and calculate. But I think Zoom is going to be more of a mainstay. But you're seeing some profit taken today, and I would probably get in a bit lower. Guy, and your slide rule, what do you have to say? 
I love my slide. I mean, it's I take it with me everywhere. It gets painful at times, but it's wonderful to have, especially at times like this. Especially and when I you sit. Be icebreaker for pointing that out. I think Zoom, if you look, I mean, we talked about it yesterday. The, the quarter was extraordinary. We didn't say anything negative about the quarter. What we said was, and Dan brought this up, you know, you look at the revenues they're going to do, two and a half to $3 billion of revenue, and you're talking about a company that's now, well, yes, at least yesterday, at a $129 billion market cap. I mean, the math doesn't really add up. Just whatever growth you think is going to happen. Disney, um, I understand the reasons to be bullish Disney, especially now if this news is true. 150 was the level I think it topped out at back in December. Um, but I'm more inclined to think Zoom is going to go down back, you know, testing the low 300s than Disney is going to get back to that 150 level. All right. And let's check out shares of Tesla posting their worst day since July. That's more. That's after more than a four and a half percent drop yesterday's momentum coming out of this stock. And of course, uh, Tesla announcing the biggest capital raise here. Um, Karen, I don't know what you make of this. I know that the bonds uh, went up which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's a really smart thing to do, right? I mean, I th- it seems like it's been a couple of months, at least four or five months, since the question about their balance sheet has kind of been put to rest. But I think good for them for taking advantage of the, you know, this, this crazy market to really shore up the balance sheet. That makes sense. That's a smart thing to do. Um, in terms of the message it sends to the market, is, is exp- uh, you know, Tesla expensive here? I don't, the market doesn't seem to believe Tesla when Tesla says its stock is expensive, as we saw when uh, Elon said that, I don't know, what was that, 700? When did he say that? Maybe 700 or 800 in there. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember anymore. But, um, I mean, a little bit of froth should come off of that and Apple. I think it was somewhat of a buy the rumor, sell the news on the split. Yeah. And, of course, Bailey Gifford uh, coming out with a filing saying, you know, trimming their position, but saying that they remain a long-term shareholder in Tesla, believe in the company. It's simply portfolio rebalancing because of the weight Tesla took because of that run there. So that contributed to this downward pressure. But still, does this sort of represent, Bonowin, the momentum, especially in a day like today where we saw cyclicals, uh, really outperform some of these growthier names. Um, do you think this is a permanent state here in terms of, of this shift? Uh, you know what? I, I don't, and I'll tell you why. If you look over the last few days of trading, you've had a month in, so there's going to be a lot of rebalancing um, kind of reallocation that comes along with that. So when we're seeing some of these rotations or what we're calling trends, I, I'll call them rotations, I think some of them tend to be a bit short-dated in nature. So I would, it would take me a bit longer to observe trading over a long period of time before I'm willing to say, okay, we've seen a full rotation and I expect this trend to continue. In fact, honestly, I, I'm a bit skeptical about the fact that we're past the worst with, with this virus. I think flu season's coming up, the winter's coming up. We might see a retrenchment, retrenchment of that virus. And I would expect uh, some of this to come off, actually, from the highs. All right. Coming up, is it time out for TikTok, the viral video app facing some new hurdles? Is it hunts for a deal? The social trade straight ahead. But first, there is no I in teams, but there may be a lot of profit for one major tech stock. That trade from Fast Money Return. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Microsoft hitting a fresh all-time high today after a bullish note from Evercore, which says a Teams video platform may be on its way and could steal a market share from red-hot stocks like Zoom. Joining us now on the Fast Line is the analyst behind the call, Kirk Matern. Kirk, great to have you with us. Uh, thanks for having me. Just so we can understand your optimism surrounding Teams, what percentage of revenue is Teams currently from Microsoft and what do you think it could be? Well, Teams is monetized through the office suite. So Teams is part of a broader bundle that you'd buy from Microsoft. But what I think is very interesting about Teams and part of the reason we're bullish on it is that Teams, with the collaboration technologies that it's bringing to bear, when you partner that up with Office, there's an opportunity for Microsoft to upsell its enterprise customers onto a higher skew of the Office bundles. And the uplift on that can be anywhere from 50 to 75%. So when you think about more and more enterprises having to think about work from a work from home paradigm and how your employees are going to collaborate with one another, the idea of bringing in these new technologies that Teams brings with it into the productivity tools that you already bought from Microsoft you know, is really compelling. And I think this is going to become you know, really Microsoft's front office cloud uh, sort of, it's going to be, it's going to become the key to Microsoft's front office cloud offering. So, you know, we're upbeat about it. It's very early days, but we think Microsoft's got a very strong position in this part of the market. In terms of uh, the functions and, and the item, the, the, the things that Microsoft can upsell, what are they and what are your assumptions in terms of how much more can upsell and how much more corporations will need to spend? Because uh, you did also raise your price target on Microsoft. So I'm assuming that there's some math behind behind how much this will contribute, even though it's bundled as part of Office? Yeah, sure. So when you think about what Teams brings, obviously, when you start bringing in video and telephony and security and then analytics, you know, if you move from the E3 to the E5 bundle, for instance, that would be, as I said earlier, about a 50 to 75% uplift. If you just simply have a portion of your customer base upgrading every year over the next three to five years, you know, that is really what, in our view, is going to help drive the broader Office product suite, you know, at a 10 plus percent growth rate over the next couple of years. So while there's a lot of moving parts to this, I think the key here is that when you think about the office suite, which is a 30 plus billion dollar business and how that's going to continue to grow, you know, really teams brings these new functionality around collaboration, whether it's chat, video, but also the, the supporting technologies behind that, whether it's security, analytics and telephony. Kirk, it's Karen. Let me just first congratulate you. You've been a bull on this for a long time. I think I read a piece today from February where you had a 212 price target, which seemed pretty aggressive, but no longer. So um, when you get to this new price target, how do you get there? Are you looking at uh, 2021 numbers, and what kind of multiple do you put on that? Yeah, sure. So like everything in the market, you know, multiples are becoming a little bit more relative given the broader market multiples coursing higher as well as rates are so low, but that we're using a 37 times PE multiple. And if we had thought about that two or three years ago, that would have seemed, you know, unrealistic would be a nice way of putting it. I think what's going on right now is that our confidence level and the durability of Microsoft's growth, both in terms of the top line and bottom line, coupled with the fact that Microsoft has 70 plus billion dollars in cash on its balance sheet, plus the fact that 60, 75 percent of its business is recurring in nature. So, again, visibility you know, makes us believe that the premium that Microsoft's garnering versus the broader market is sustainable. And that doesn't mean that Microsoft, like a lot of large tech companies, isn't due for a bit of a breather. It might be at some point over the, over the fall. But this business is built for the long term. And when you're thinking about large cap or, in this case, mega cap 
uh, technology compounding stories and cash flow compounding stories, you know, it's very difficult to see how Microsoft's not very well positioned uh, over the next few years. Kirk, great to speak with you. Thank you. Kirk Matern of Evercore ISI with that note. By the way, that price target goes to 250 from 225. Guy, what do you, what do you think about Microsoft? Well, what he said about the multiple, I mean, that's the key right there. Karen asked the question I was going to ask, and that's spot on. I think across the board, Microsoft is one name that we really haven't wavered on in terms of bullishness on the show for quite some time. So I'm with him. You know, I do think at a certain point valuation matters. But Microsoft is one of the few companies out there that's in all the right places. Margins continue to be strong. And you can make an argument that Microsoft should be the most valuable company out there right now. So I'm with I'm with Kirk on this upgrade and this price uh, target raise as well. Dan. Well, I think it's interesting when you look at revenue growth over the last five years and what it's expected over the next few years. The same thing for EPS growth. You see a, a major downturn or a downshift or a deceleration um, at a time where you see analysts tripping over each other to raise their price targets and justify high 30s uh, P.E. multiples. So to me, that doesn't seem uh, kind of in line with the idea that, you know, this company should continue to trade at a premium premium multiple when you're seeing this sort of deceleration. So to me, if he's right on what teams can can do to that office suite, fantastic. We didn't even talk about TikTok. I think that would be absolutely amazing if they were able to get that, even if they screw it up like they've done a bunch of their acquisitions over the last 10 years. I suspect it's an asset that's going to be worth a lot more in a few years than it's worth in a forced sale. Um, so to me, yeah, I don't see any reason to sell Microsoft. We don't sell things on valuation in a raging bull market mania because it just makes you look silly the next day. Speaking of TikTok, TikToks, they're addicting to watch, but is it a good deal for someone to scoop up and buy? The latest on that saga next, plus from the court to the boardroom, we're bringing the latest on Michael Jordan's new gig. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. New developments in the TikTok saga. Julia Borson's got all the latest details. Julia. 
Well, Melissa, sources close to the situation tell me that ByteDance is trying to figure out how China's new restrictions on the export of artificial intelligence technology that were announced Friday would impact the sale of TikTok's U.S. business. Now, a source telling me that while ByteDance and potential TikTok buyers, a Microsoft Walmart combination and Oracle, look into implications of the new restrictions, that visibility into the timing of a deal is very much clouded. Here are four hypothetical options from a legal and technological standpoint, according to a report in Reuters. One would be selling TikTok's U.S. assets without its algorithms. A second would be a transition period to use TikTok's algorithm for up to a year. A third would be to seek permission from China to pass on TikTok's algorithm to a U.S. buyer, and fourth, potentially licensing TikTok's algorithm from ByteDance. Now, all parties, I'm told by sources, continue to have talks ahead of that deadline looming later this month. Melissa? Julia, buying TikTok without that algorithm, which effectively recommends videos to users, seems like you're just buying the brand TikTok, and you're not buying the intellectual property of TikTok, which seems like I mean, if you're just buying the brand TikTok, how is it worth $30 billion or, or whatever it was valued at? Well, that, that's, of course, the conversation that's being held had right now between ByteDance and those potential buyers. I mean, the algorithm, algorithm, which is so addictive, is what makes TikTok so valuable. And I think there would have to be some arrangement that allowed the U.S. operations to continue to operate the way people know TikTok to be. You don't want to buy an asset and then have it, once it's broken off from the rest of its its global parent, have it operate totally differently. So I think there would have to be some way to keep it operating, just like we see it now. Yeah. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, let's, let's trade this. Stan, what do you, what do you think happens here? Because obviously that algorithm, the intellectual property is key to any deal. Why would a Microsoft or Walmart want to step in and buy a shadow of what TikTok is? Yeah, they won't. I, I suspect if the Trump administration sticks to this deadline and there is a for sale, that next to the dollar price for the company, the most hotly contested number that's going to be negotiated is going to be the breakup value. ByteDance doesn't want to sell this company. They don't want to sell it for $30 billion. Look at what you know Facebook has turned into. Look at how Snap, you could make the argument, and Twitter have been mismanaged, but Twitter now is starting to come alive a little bit. These guys have lightning in a bottle here, and they have Instagram and they have Snap on the run a little bit. So to me, I think they're going to probably try to wait this out. I think They'll probably do a deal with something they deem to be acceptable, but with the idea there's going to be a lot of strings attached. Maybe the Chinese government helps them do that, and then you see it broken up depending upon what happens with our election um, after the fact. A new administration might let this thing go on the way it is. And then you got to think, what about that halo effect that we saw for all of the potential buyers of TikTok, and I'm thinking mostly of Walmart. And, and granted, Walmart has a lot of other, other things going for it at this point, including uh, a competitor to Amazon's Prime Bonowin. But some of that froth has got to come off if TikTok is not going to be the TikTok that TikTok is right now uh, when it's bought by a, if it's bought by a Microsoft Walmart combination. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly the, the premium, the, the amount that you're willing to pay for this asset has definitely changed. I mean, uh, not to um, take it too far back, but this reminds me of these old school heavyweight fights, right? Wait, is it Ali? Is it Frazier? Is it the U.S.? Is it China? Okay, now ByteDance is in, pulling a fast one in the last minute. So honestly, if nothing else, this is extremely entertaining. But I think this is reminiscent of and reminds us of why trying to pick a winner on speculation really is not the way to trade your portfolio.
Coming up, we've got our eyes on the after-hours earnings action. CrowdStrike and Cloudera will bring you the latest on these two movers next. Plus, there's a special bonus hour fast for you, and we're taking your investing questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll tackle them on the air. Much more fast right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got earnings alerts on a pair of cloud stocks, Cloudera and CrowdStrike, both on the move after hours. We've got full team coverage standing by. Josh Lipton's got the details on Cloudera, but we start off with Aditi Roy and the latest on CrowdStrike. Aditi. Hi, Melissa. CrowdStrike shares down about 6% right now. This despite the company topping Wall Street expectations on quarterly results and also on Outlook. Some key points here. The company's subscription revenue, which make up the vast majority of its total revenue, that came in at $184 million, nearly 90% higher than last year. Another key metric, annual recurring revenue, which shows how much the company expects from its subscription customers, increasing about 87% to about $791 million. CrowdStrike also saying it added 969 net new subscription customers in the quarter and that its total subscription customers have grown more than 90% year over year. CrowdStrike has, of course, benefited from the pandemic economy with companies seeking extra web security with employees working from home. And year to date, shares are still up more than 180%. Melissa? Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy. By the way, in just the past three weeks, CrowdStrike shares are up 46%, a guy, into this earnings print. Well, that's, that's exactly right. And it was, I think anybody would say that's looking at it, that all the metrics, it's a fine quarter. That they gave guidance, which a lot of companies clearly aren't doing. So what's the problem? The problem is you had a monster move, to your point. I think you're trying to figure out a place to buy this stock if you haven't been in it or buy it back if you sold it today. And I think that level is sort of the previous high we made back in July of 118. I don't know if it gets there, but for a lot of different reasons, it would make sense given the tape, given what we've seen, and given the run the stock has had. So to me, 118 for a re-entry makes a lot of sense in CrowdStrike. Yeah, Bono, what do you think of CrowdStrike or any of the other cybersecurity stocks? I mean, I think as a whole, they make a lot of sense. But to Guy's point, listen, when you've had these parabolic moves, I mean, and then going into an earnings print, you've got to do some risk management here, whether it's putting in a stop, buying some puts, call overriding, something. But like just hoping and praying that you're going to replicate what Zoom has done when these names have already run up in tandem with Zoom. I just I mean, I think that's just a risky proposition. And that's that's bearing itself out now. Let's move on to Cloudera. Josh Lipton's got the latest there. Josh. So, Melissa, I checked in with Rishi Jaluria over at uh, DA Davidson. Rishi covers the name. I wanted just his take, his big takeaways on the print. Uh, he calls this a solid beat and raise quarter. The company, Rishi says, seems less impacted by the pandemic than initially feared. Annualized recurring revenue came in, at least ahead of his expectations. Companies continuing to grow six-figure, seven-figure customers, even in this obviously tough environment. Rishi's saying he was actually a bit surprised uh, by the after-hours action we're seeing here. Keep in mind, though, uh, this stock heading into this print, huge run. It's up about 180% off its March lows. On the call, CEO Robert Bearden calling Q2 an excellent quarter. Cloudera is not immune, he said, to the economic downturn, but this business he calls resilient. Melissa, back to you. Yeah, Josh, thanks. And the stock a little bit more resilient in the after-hour session here, Karen, versus uh, the CrowdStrike, even though both have run into this quarter. 
Right. I, I mean, I'd rather be in crowd, crowd strike. It's obviously much, much bigger. But as Guy and Bronwyn had said that, you know, when it's up that much going into earnings, I don't know that they can announce earnings that are good enough to, to uh, satisfy whatever, whoever was buying that stock yesterday was up gigantic. So um, I don't have a lot of exposure in those direct names much more through, um, you know, a Microsoft or a Google. Dan? So that's my cloud exposure. Yeah. I think these are two great names to just kind of highlight a little bit. They both about have $800, $900 million in revenues. Cloudera's only problem is that their revenues only grew 10% year over year, where CrowdStrike's drew 85% year over year. So you have this massive differential in growth here. Um, and, you know, Cloudera just, just hasn't had the performance. It trades with a $3.9 billion market cap, four and a half times sales or so, um, versus the other one, CrowdStrike, trading at 30 times sales. I mean, I mean, that's what we're dealing with right here. We're making, it's just mental gymnastics to try to figure out how to justify why one's better than the other. Or we should be buying the one with the faster growth that trades at obscene valuation. But let me tell you something. CrowdStrike was a company that just a few months ago or before it went public, you know, a year ago, whenever it was, was a single digit billion dollar acquisition target. And now it's trading at a $30 billion market cap because I don't think that the people who are buying it on their apps, on their iPhones are really paying attention to anything that makes sense as far as investing. So I like having Bonwin uh, on here talking about risk management, talking about ways how to manage your portfolio. I think that makes a lot of sense. At some point, the people will put down their apps and they'll try to figure out what's going on here so they don't lose their shirts when this thing turns. All right. Well, believe it or not, these aren't the last of the big software names to report this week. DocuSign is on deck for tomorrow. Options traders are betting huge uh, when, when those results cross the wire. So Bonwin's got the action today. Bonwin. Thanks, Melissa. So um, taking a look at the options, calls up pace puts about three times to one. Before you get ahead of yourself, I'm going to tell you why that may not, reading a little bit more into that, that may not be what it seems. Options imply about a 20% move, a 20% move between now and Friday X3. That's almost double what we see, which is about an 11% move on average. <laughs> and the, the stock is traded about a, in today, just, a, just today, a range of about 250 to 290, likely on the back of the Opperheim. Um, price target. And the, the uh, trade that really stuck out to me was the Friday expiry 300 strike calls. Those traded at about $17, right? So the stock has been up about 250% this year. You're outlaying $17 or 20% higher, which is where you break even, and you're mitigating your risk down to about 5%. So to me, some of this looks like a stock replacement, taking some money off the table, staying in the stock, mitigating downside risk. That's how I like trading going into what looks to be a volatile earnings print. Yeah, and that, that could be a very important distinction. In terms of this stock, we've seen it go up when Zoom goes up. The presumption is that during this pandemic, you sign things virtually more often. Uh, Guy, do you think when the pandemic is over, hopefully that's a day that's very soon, uh, that people go back to the old-fashioned way, pen and paper, or maybe in your case, quill and paper? <laughs> yeah, well, I, my, and it's funny you say that because I have my inkwell over to the side. You know, we put, what did we do yesterday? Uh, FOMO, NOMO, BOBO, something. But I think Pete got DocuSign, and he, and he said it was a fundamental story. He's 100% right. This company is not going anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, the, I just think people have learned how to use it, and they're going to implement it going forward regardless of what happens. My problem with the stock, uh, a week ago, I would have said it's absolutely fundamentals are in line, but the momentum over the last week and a half has been, I'm sorry about that, it's been ridiculous. So I do think there's a little downside here in earnings. 
<laughs> Karen, what do you think of DocuSign? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, just valuation can't get there, although I do think this is a change that we're not going back. Once you start using it, you're not going back for sure. So what can they do to add on and gain additional revenue? I, I mean, a lot of optimistic stuff is priced in already. I wouldn't short it, but I can't be long here. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, basketball legend Michael Jordan has worn many hats, shoes even over the years. His latest, DraftKings board advisor will lay out what MJ's latest role says about the betting company. Plus, a former lacrosse star and league founder lays out what is next for the sports media landscape. Stick around. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DraftKings jumping more uh, today, uh, up 8% here. What was behind this rally? Or maybe we should ask who was behind this rally. None other than his heirness himself, basketball legend Michael Jordan, joining the company as a special advisor to its board. Um, is this a slam dunk for DraftKings? I mean, the market tells you so. The company added, what, $800 million or so in market cap just on the back of this news of MJ joining that board. Dan. Oh, hi, Mel. Um, Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, this is not the last dance for DraftKings. If anything, this is just the beginning. When you think about their move from Daily Fantasy, um, which continues to be gangbusters, even with limited sports, and what lies ahead once we get to the other side of the uh, the pandemic, I mean, sports betting is going to be a national thing. You know, you think about all these states, they're going to have these massive deficits um, from lost tax revenues for so many other things during the pandemic. Um, I suspect you're going to see legalized sports betting. So to me, I think DraftKings is just getting started. I don't think you can speak to the valuation right here. The thing spacked into a merger, into the mar- public markets um, earlier this year in the middle of the pandemic. All the power to them for sticking it out here despite all these headwinds. So to me, I really like DraftKings. I've been consistent on that. I think you buy it on dips. And I think on the other side of the pandemic, this is going to be a real player in a very new sports-friendly betting world. I mean, this seems like a really savvy move for DraftKings. Everybody knows, at least... I know through the last dance that aired on ESPN that Michael Jordan really likes gambling. Um, and so so the fit there is is perfect, Bono. And this sort of reminds me of Oprah and Weight Watchers, Kanye and Gap, where you sort of get the celebrity to join and you have built in endorsement power there. Uh, yeah, you do. I mean, um, particularly when you're drawing the parallels of the celebrity actually using the product. I think that's what you were inferring there. Yeah, I mean, listen, the guy has only been the face of the franchise of the Bulls, been the face of the NBA, Nike, Jordan brand. I don't know what there really isn't to like. I think he can rubber stamp his participation, and at least it's going to build credibility and probably expand the exposure of what is already a well-positioned stock. All right. Well, elsewhere in the sports world, we are counting down to the start of football season. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell appearing on Squawk Alley to lay out his league's attempts at reaching a wider audience in these strange times. We have nothing but the best partners in the business. Uh, we're proud of that. But we also want to try to reach new platforms where, where our fans are. And, and, and we've got to reach new partners in the context of that. So I see this negotiation as, as, as working with our current partners to continue that relationship as well as bringing new partners in that are going to help us reach those additional partners. Whether that happens in the next few months or the next two years, uh, that's not as important to us as getting it right. 
So what's next for the sports media industry? Paul Rabel is the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League. He joins us now. Good to have you back, Paul. Nice to see you. Yeah, great to be back. I want to ask you how you think your your season is going. But first, uh, you know, back to Goodell. He also talked about allowing fans back into the stadium, saying that it's going to be up to the local team. It's going to be up to local authorities. He wants to make sure the fans stay safe. But do you think that's realistic, that, that this football season fans could actually be in the stands? Well, we're going to see it. We're going to see it in week one with six of the teams now that have at least said that they've created some type of infrastructure to allow a portion of their audience to be in the stands with appropriate PPE and guidelines. We'll see that number increase. We're tracking youth sports, tracking even the school system on a state-by-state basis to see where it lands. But I also heard Commissioner Goodell talk about their media rights, and we're in a really interesting time right now where most of the major leagues are discussing the future of media rights deals with the networks that are now rolling out their SVODs, AVODs, OTTs, and the, the time to be involved in sports is, is fascinating. Hey, hey, Paul, it's Dan. Thanks for joining us, bud. Um, you know, you guys just got through with this tremendously successful bubble championship series that you guys spent months and months planning for. It went off without a hitch. You know, you're just talking about media rights, that sort of thing. How much did it matter to you guys? I, I know that you love connecting with your fans, but you have this great partnership with NBC and NBC Sports. The coverage was amazing. It was on TV. It was on the web. It was OTT streaming. You know, did that kind of fill a certain gap in your mind, and did you um, outperform your expectations as far as the product that you guys uh, delivered to the fans? Yeah, hey, Dan. Last time I was sitting here across from you guys, I was I was in Utah as a player, so I had a T-shirt on. Now I'm trying to pose as an executive here. But uh, we we did what we set out to accomplish, and, and we're more agile as a, as a startup league. So we view sports pretty simply. It, it's a media company with live IP. And if you're a network or if you're a cable provider, Live programming is the last standing firewall for viewership, which then translates to affiliate fees, uh, licensing opportunity, and, and advertising. So our viewership benefited from being able to get off during COVID at these accelerated viewership times. So we were up close to 40% year-over-year viewership. And our OTT with NBC Sports Gold saw a 150% increase in subscribers, despite having the lion's share of our programs on television so there were major indicators as the networks right now watch how these live sports perform another example is with peacock's rollout here with nbc and now having 10 million um users that now create profiles they're experimenting with epl games exclusively uh they're also looking at pga matches being provided exclusive to peacock and will these svods now see subscriber opportunities and increase through live sports which Traditionally, networks are looking at SVODs, which are subscription video on demand just mm-hmm. for original programming. Right. Paul, thanks so much. We'll see you in the next hour fast. Uh, we're going to dive into your portfolio then. Paul Rabel. Well, all this talk about sports got us craving a big gulp of water. And throughout the day on CNBC, we're watching the rise in prices of things that you use every day. So let's take a look at bottled water. That's actually a 5.3 percent in the four weeks ending August 22nd compared to the same period last year. Wow. The more you know. Turn on the faucet, folks. Up next, your final trade. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so always looking for value. It's harder and harder to find, but the one space that I really still like is home building, and that takes me to 
Lowe's, which I actually like maybe even a little bit more than Home Depot now, given the differential between the two. So Lowe's. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Bank America had a note out on social media names today. They said Snap, big beneficiary in July, huge worldwide download levels up 29% year over year. I think you trade Snap off of 21 bucks to the downside. That's your stop. Bonwin Eisen. Cybersecurity is not going away. It's very important. I would look for the stock to bottom out and stabilize. CrowdStrike. Guy Adami. You probably played Lax in high school, right, Melms, or no? I did. Of course, I just said you probably did. Let me tell you, Paul Rabel could be the commissioner of any one of the four major sports without question. You just look and see what he's done with lacrosse. It's amazing. He gets it in a major way. I still think DraftKings is too cheap. I'm with Dan Nathan. Good luck on the 6 o'clock show, Melms. Thanks. And that does it for us for this hour fast. Don't go anywhere. As we mentioned, a bonus hour of Total Request Fast starts right after this break. A bonus hour, Total Request Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Jim Cramer's off this week, so tonight we're answering all your questions about the stocks you're trading right now. That's right. We want to hear from you, so tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. With us tonight, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen on tap. Now that Tesla and Apple have done it, you might want to know, will the splits keep on coming? We'll piece that one together. Then, as of today, gyms here in New York can open back up. Is that a sign that athleisure can continue to stretch its gains? Our panel will run that one down. Plus, he just couldn't get enough of fast money. So Premier Lacrosse League co-founder Paul Rabel will be back with this bonus hour, too. And just like you, he's opening up his portfolio for a trader's evaluation. All that and much more straight ahead. But we start off with a question on Amazon that has been on the top of mind for many of you out there. Hi, my name is Ray. I have a two-part question. The first part is, do you think Amazon will ever do a split? The second part is, if they don't, is it smart to have a share or two? Thank you so much. Bonwin, there's a lot to unpack there, so what do you say? Uh, yes, in terms of it doing a split, I, I can certainly see it. I mean, I think uh, the one of the only huge names that hasn't made a split is Berkshire, and that's because he didn't want retail investing. Listen, I think Amazon's paid attention to what's happened with Tesla, Apple, and I would expect them to follow suit, or at the very least, I wouldn't be surprised. Regardless of whether there's a split, and again, I do want to reiterate, no value created or destroyed purely because of the split. I do think it makes sense to own the shares, and I understand that now we're talking about stretch valuation, 67 to 71 times Ford PE, but this is a ubiquitous name that's in everything from cloud computing to distribution centers to groceries. And it has a, you know, a balance sheet that's literally awe-inspiring. Cash management, free cash flow. Uh, I mean, it's got everything you want. Manageable debt load. I, I just, it's hard for me to fight against this thing. It's just a behemoth. I get what you're saying, obviously, Bonoin, about the, about the share split. And yet, what we see in the market, and I think this is where Ray may be coming from and, and a lot of other viewers, is that you see the company announce a stock split and you do see the stock go up afterwards. So even though you know that there is no value created, Karen, we have seen value created off of stock splits. Uh, we have seen a lot of value created. The one answer which I've heard, which maybe resonates a tiny bit um, about the smaller investor being able to buy stock, is that on a sm- they can buy enough to be able to do buy rights or stuff in the options market against it. 
maybe I mean that creates some additional demand, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Obviously, it's just math. The other thing, though, about Amazon, I've always thought that Bezos runs the company without an eye to the near-term stock price. You know, he'll spend a lot when he thinks it's time to spend, and then sometimes we'll see quarters where the margins actually expand and the earnings are gigantic. So they haven't split before. Uh, I don't believe since they went public. So that actually makes me think that they are not likely to split. The second part of the question, do you want to own it? Um, I mean, it isn't cheap, but I do think there's some room in a long-term portfolio that uh, includes Amazon. Dan Nathan, what do you say? Well, Mel, you know what they say about the honey badger? Well, he just don't care, and that's Jeff Bezos. He don't care about whether you can overwrite your Amazon shares or not. You know, he's just going to do uh, what he's going to do here. And, you know, I think that one thing that's really interesting, a lot of brokerage firms, I know Fidelity and TD and, and the likes, they, um, you know, you can buy, you know, fractional shares now. So if you want to buy, you know, $1,000 worth of Amazon, they let you do that even if you can't. Um, buy one share for $3,500, that sort of thing. So I think there's other alternatives. And I don't think most people use options against positions like this anyway. Um, so that shouldn't be a reason. I don't think they're going to split their shares. I don't think they care about what the market mania would do to it one way or another. Um, as far as owning it, um, listen, of course you should own it. You know, I think pre-pandemic, I think it was kind of interesting. They were taking 50 cents of every dollar uh, in the e-commerce space. They were just absolutely owning it. Now, their revenues have obviously accelerated. They're doing a great job during this. Their costs have gone up. But what have we seen in the last month? A lot of retailers have been forced to get better at e-commerce. And where's the upside been? It's been in e-commerce. We saw it in Target. We saw it in Walmart. We saw it in Best Buy. We even saw it in Dick's. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that they might have more competition. They were literally running away with it about seven months ago. And now they may just face stiffer competition as it relates to these, these uh, other retailers, bricks and mortar retailers, just having to figure it out to stay alive. All right, sticking with e-commerce here, let's get to Shopify. It is up over 170% year to date, and we've got a viewer wondering more about the stock's long-term trajectory. Hi, I'm Frank from New York. I'm calling in about the stock Shopify. I really like this stock. I love its business model. I love the fact that it caters to e-merchants of all sizes. My question is, I entered the stock at 1050 does this stock have more room to run? Should I add to my position or should I hold and maybe wait for a pullback? Thank you very much. Dan, what do you tell Frank in New York? Well, Frank, it's obviously a very thoughtful sort of thing. You're new to the name. The stock has had this massive, massive run. It's got $130 billion market cap. It's trading very near its all-time highs. I think from a secular shift standpoint, we just talked about as it relates to Amazon and some of the competition they have coming, they are powering that for a lot of much smaller retailers. So to me, I think this is clearly a story that you want to stay long. You made a decision to buy some here. What I would say is, wait a little bit because you want to average into something like this rather than just kind of paying the tippy tops. You already started paying near the highs. Let's see what happens. You know, it is a stock market mania and this one is clearly participating or is one of the leaders, um, but really it depends on your time horizon. If you have a long-term time horizon, I would say wait to add to your existing shares. Let's do a little time out here for a trade school, Karen. When we say average into a name, what does that mean? 
So averaging it means you buy some. Let's say he bought some. Let's say today. He didn't. He bought it before, but you buy some today. Then you wait, let's say, a week or a month, whatever you choose, however time frame you want, and you put the same amount of money into work. That would be dollar cost averaging. So if he owns Mm -hmm. 1,000 1,000 shares now, um, he would use that same amount of money a month from now and buy that much dollar dollar worth of stock wherever the price is. So that's averaging, and that's called dollar averaging, where you just spend the same amount of money over various periods of time, and that gives you an average price over time because it's really hard to pick the bottom in any name. I've never been able to do it, so very often I just average in, I buy some over time. Yeah. Bon- Thank you for the chime. I like that. Bono, and what do you say about Shopify? Uh, I, I think it's still in an uptrend, but it's starting to test the lower bounds thereof. So. You know, I would wait to see if it holds that 50-day moving average. I think it's kind of hovered around there. Um, but, yeah, if you own it, I don't think you need to, you know, rush out and sell it. Maybe you put it in a stop. But in terms of adding a sizable position, I think, you know, as the other two panelists have alluded to, you need to be a bit more uh, conscious and cognizant of, of the price that you're paying over the long term. All right. Well, Jim's got the green light to reopen in New York City today. And our next uh, viewers looking at a play on a potential fitness boom. What's going on, CNBC Fast Money team? It's Adam. I am calling you from the great state of North Carolina, where finally the gyms are open. That being said, is now the time to invest into Lululemon. Thanks for your time. Bonwin, what do you tell him? Oof. Uh, is now the time? No. I want to answer your question very specifically. I think this stock bottomed around 150 then shot from 150 to 300 consolidated, then ran again straight up from 300 to 400. And I realize the price target has been raised to about 445, but just from a risk-reward standpoint, I think you've probably got about 10% of upside and maybe you've got about 15, 20% of downside. So I, I, I'd wait for a pullback here. The stock has just, just run too far too fast. I think inherent in this question, Karen, is, is this notion that Jim's reopening could be the catalyst for Lulu when I would argue, and we've talked about this many times, how the need to wear proper pants at home is really diminished during a pandemic. And you're much more likely to to go for yoga pants. Yeah, diminished down to zero. You know, if the camera goes from here up, you know, um, I think that has been the driver of this name by a lot. So to the extent that names that were, at first this one wasn't seen as a beneficiary of the pandemic, but then it sort of evolved to, wow, those sales, those online sales, which they were well positioned for, were gigantic. And the stock, as Bonwin pointed to, it just has gone parabolic. I mean, it, it trades like they're working on a vaccine, actually. That's how crazy the valuation for this, this name has become. So I love the name. I, I had a nice run in it. I sold most of it. Um, a little over 300. I'm very sad about that, but you know that happens. Um, I would not buy more right here. I would not start a position right here. Dan. 
little fun fact about our friend Bonwin. You know, Bonwin and I used to sit on a trading desk next to each other about eight years ago, eight, <laughs> nine years ago. And he used to go and do a little boxing or kickboxing or whatever the heck he was doing before the market would open. He'd come in and he'd lay out his sweaty gym clothes <laughs> on one of those Herman Miller chairs right behind us. Oh, it was gross. a total mess. Um, it wasn't Lulu, I will tell you that. I think you were like just Nike toe-to-toe or head-to-toe there. Um, but that was really one of my first impressions of Bono. And now we're just social distancing a little bit here. Uh, I, listen, you know, this stock broke out at 325. It's been, you know, straight line to 400. I would look, this is a great company. They're doing a lot of great things. I would look for an opportunity again to buy this thing near that breakout level near 325. All right. Well, our next guest is not only a, a former lacrosse star, but also an investor with a stacked portfolio. Paul Rabel, the co-founder of Premier Lacrosse League, is back with us. Um, and Paul, you've been pretty active in the markets over the summer. Um, did you get more active over the summer because of the pandemic? Uh, and, and what do you hold right now? Yeah, well, I'm long on big tech, as, as, I, as we've all seen, um, not only COVID act as an accelerator for all of us working at home, but you look at solid balance sheets, you look at cash on hand, minimal debt, and the ability to scale up and scale down quickly. And I know as a day trader today, you see a little fallback on, on tech and opportunity for some people to get in. Uh, but tech has a major play in, in my business as well, as, mm-hmm. as it's enabled us to start the Premier Lacrosse League. And now they're purchasing media rights. Right, right. What, what questions do you have for our panel tonight, Paul? Well, I'll start with tech, and we look at Apple taking 20-some-odd years to reach a million, a trillion-dollar market cap valuation, and then they quickly get to uh, above $2 trillion because they've bundled their services and now are getting a valuation on a multiple of revenue. How do you guys think about Apple right now? Hmm, that's a very good question and one that a lot of people out there are asking. Karen, why don't you tackle that? Yeah, well, I think there's a little, this trillion dollar thing is sort of a, was it Roger Bannister, was that his name, who broke the mile mark, and then after that, that nobody thought could be done, and then after that, everybody felt like, oh, it could be done, so you saw it broken again and again. Once that trillion dollar mark was, you know, crashed, we saw a number of companies go through. I am long Apple, I am a little distressed at how the valuation has changed in terms of the multiple of earnings. I don't like that to be the driver of why a stock goes higher. I like it to be good earnings. They did have very, very good earnings, and I am optimistic about the 5G prospects for them, but um, I'm nervous about how relatively expensive it is. However, all that having been said, I do believe this market is somewhat rigged and that equity valuations are propped up higher, and so I don't have an alternative. I'm keeping my Apple. All right. Um, Paul, what's your next question? All right. Another feature of sports. We look at a previous caller asked about Lululemon. I like the back and forth there. In sports, you typically have your official outfitter as a Nike or an Adidas. Both companies are conserving cash and pulling back on their marketing spend as they jostle for uh, 2022-2023 market share. How do you view the coming of the holidays and and some of their direct-to-consumer strategies and, and that stock in particular? Dan, what do you tell Paul? Yeah, so in Nike in particular, it's interesting. You know, this was one where you would have expected, for a lot of the reasons we said about Lulu premium valuation, um, that, you know, investors might have been a little bit um, hesitant here. But the stock's broken out and just keeps making new highs every day. So when you think about what does the holiday season look like, um, you know, Nike is obviously trades usually into the Olympics. So we have that 
catalyst coming next year. We know that if the NFL's on, that's good uh, promotion. We know that they've done an amazing job in the direct-to-consumer, um, and I think that's been a huge differentiator over the last few years. So I like Nike here, man. I- I'll tell you, you know, this thing, it just broke out, I think, at 105, 106. Listen, I know that you can't even consider the fact that stocks go down, but let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time. They do go down. You're going to have opportunities to buy them. Take a line and draw it where it broke out. That's where you add back into a name like Nike, in my opinion. That's near 105. Paul, thanks for sticking around. Hope you got some answers. Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, Paul Rabel. We got lots more ahead. A fundamental question about VMware from the future. Karen Feinerman, you'll see what we mean. Much more total request, fast money still ahead. Welcome back to the special edition of Total Request Fast Money, where our traders answer your burning stock questions, including this next one that comes from a 12-year-old Fast Money viewer. Hi, I'm Sam from Oakdale, California, and I was wondering about VMware. So their market cap is about $60 billion. Dell owns 81% of the company, which would be about $50 billion in interest. Somehow, Dell's market cap is only about $50 billion. So either VMware is way overvalued or Dell is way undervalued. My dad and I are curious as to what Karen thinks on this matter because she is the smartest investor on the show. Sam is clearly extremely savvy. Because she has identified Karen as the smartest member of the panel. <laughs> what a question, Karen. It's a, it's a very good question. It is a good question. I take a little issue with the smartest investor on the show. But uh, first of all, I was a 12-year-old girl in California at one time. And I can tell you, even as interested in business as I was, I didn't know what a market cap was. And I wouldn't have asked as sophisticated a question as this. So thanks for the question. You are halfway on to something. But there's another half that uh, might not have been apparent, which is Dell... Uh, has a lot of debt, too. So when you think of the valuation of Dell, you can't just look at the market cap. You have to look at the market cap plus the debt. And that gets you what we call an enterprise value. So that's actually a much higher number. So when you back out the VMware, there's not the big disconnect that you had identified. So that's one thing. The second thing is... um, they own their stake in VMware in a holding company, and that often, that, that people don't fully value that. Sometimes there's tax implications, um, so people don't love that hold co-structure. The last thing is, Dell has said they're going to spin out their VMware, not sell it. So they're not going to be getting that cash in. They're going to be distributing to shareholders who own Dell. They'll be distributing VMware. So that's some of the reason of why the, the uh, disconnect valuation seems to be so apparent, but it but seems to be so big, but it's actually not. And then in terms of would you want to own it, that's a different question. I actually kind of like Dell. I think that uh, they reported sort of conservative guide earnings and guidance. I like the company long term. Michael Dell is uh, he's a genius and buying and selling assets just for the long term. I'd want to be betting with Michael Dell. By so the, thank you very much for the question. Good luck. And the compliment, right, Karen? I mean, but by the way, we showed a picture of Karen when she was a wee lass, and she looked pretty smart mm. to me. Um, oh, look how adorable. 
Um, oh no, is that the one with the bow in my hand? Yeah, with the bow. With, you should, you should sport I, that bow today. I, Dan Nathan, <laughs> what do you say about Dell or VMware? Yeah, great question, and I agree. Karen is by far the smartest on this panel, but I hate to tell you, Karen, that is not saying a whole heck of a lot when you think of these commodities here. Um, but, 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 um, listen, you know, this is a very complicated uh, case, mod. I mean, you know, the Dell VMware thing goes on for more than 10 years here. I think that you probably want to look at these two companies together and look at their opportunity set. Um, and, you know, that spin will obviously um, benefit Dell shareholders. So um, to me, I think Dell has outperformed VMware. If you kind of like virtualization, if that's your thing um, out there in Cali, then this stock probably looks poised for um, a, a rally here, a good valuation that sort of thing. Um, hasn't really participated to, to date, but maybe it's a little bit of a value trap. But to me, I don't think you get hurt in the VMware right here. Sam, thank you so much for your question. We encourage you to keep watching the show and keep on investing. Still to come on Total Request Fast Money, remember that line from Ghostbusters, cats and dogs living together? Well, if they did, they'd need home delivery service now, wouldn't they? We'll put these two to the sniff test for you. More Total Request Fast Money still ahead. And later, could pins cushion your portfolio? We'll get down to the point when we return. Welcome back. Our next viewer is wondering if this e-commerce play is the cat's meow. Hi, I'm Charlie calling from New Jersey. With the Federal Reserve recently announcing that they're going to allow inflation to run a little higher than normal in the past and the increase in popularity of online pet supply shopping, would you recommend investing in something that has more of a value focus like PetMed Express or something more focused on growth such as Chewy? Thanks. Charlie's got a strong hair game. Um, Dan, you're a dog dad, so what do you what do you tell him? Yeah, really interesting question. I think a lot of investors since Fed uh, Chair Powell's speech last week and, and kind of laying out that new inflation strategy, which really didn't seem that new. They just can't even achieve the inflation targets that they've set out for the last decade or so. I don't know why we'd expect it to happen now, even with rates low, because rates have been low for the last decade, too. Um, you know, listen, you want to go for growth. You want to go for things where valuations can get stretched. Um, Chewy, you know, is a very interesting company. This really kind of goes back to some of the stuff that we were talking about before, where some of those bricks and mortars guys had to figure out how to do e-commerce. These guys were e-commerce first, and they hit a niche where we know that there's tremendous demand. It's almost like a staple. And then when you think about in this pandemic, we saw, like you mentioned in your uh, comment, we've seen tremendous you know, uptick in uh, pet adoptions, that sort of thing. So Chewy is fine. It just broke out. It went up in a straight line. Again, decide what your time horizon is. Decide how much capital you want to allocate to it and say, I'm entering a position at what is now an all-time high. How will I react if it goes down 10, 20%? How will I react if it goes up 10, 20% in the near term? Bonwin, how do you feel about the pet space? Um, do, which one sells muzzles so we can uh, ship one to Guy? Um, well, listen, I think when, you, when you're... <laughs> See, don't go there. That's think, a different shop. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Um, I think when you're, <laughs> when you're talking about investing and paying for a, a premium multiple, you're definitely paying for growth. As Dan said, listen, this thing has shot straight up. Pick a point in the sand and own it from that point there. But in terms of would I rather, I'd rather growth 
you know, you haven't seen Pets sell off into that March sell off the way that you did a lot of other names. So that speaks to the inelasticity of a man and, you know, it being a mainstay. But I think the upside is definitely in the growth name. Bonwin's only half joking, by the way. Um, I don't want all these tweets out there saying Fully about joking. The animal cruelty and all. We love Flip and Russell, and they can <laughs> they can bark whenever they want. Um, all right, and so <laughs> pet's not your thing. How about this viewer tweet? Michael is asking. I have a high growth tech tech portfolio. I'm trying to diversify. Would you recommend GLD? Bonwin, what do you tell Michael? Back at me. Um, listen, so in terms of diversification, yes, I definitely think it makes sense. If you look at people that are much smarter than I am, Bridgewater Associates and any other you know, large asset manager, there's going to be some rotation into it for a couple of reasons. One, you're seeing an increase in the VIX, right? So that's an increase in volatility. Gold is seen as a store of value. There's one reason. What you're seeing in terms of fiscal stimulus, what that might speak to long term in terms of inflation, there's another reason. And then if you look at sovereign rates, Debt, debt anywhere around the globe, it's not paying you anything to hold it. And all those reasons, in addition to the fact that you're probably diversifying from a stock portfolio that has run up tremendously, those are all good reasons to diversify into GLD. Thank you for the question. Karen, what would you say? What's a good, what's a good hedge for a high-growth tech portfolio? Um, I think... Well, I guess there's sort of two parts. One of it, the high-growth tech portfolio has been the beneficiary of the, the pandemic in many ways. So to counter that, you might want to be in something that's very uh, reopening-centric or vaccine-centric. Um, so maybe a cruise line or something like that. But they bring up the question of gold. I actually think there is a place for gold in the portfolio because of this you know, gold will do well when fiat currencies are in trouble. And we are setting up for a situation where, you know, that could happen. So to me, I've chosen to do it through Bitcoin. But I think gold and Bitcoin, they're actually sort of somewhat moving together uh, over the last year. There is a place for it in a, in a portfolio. Dan, how would you diversify away from high growth tech? Yeah, it's a tough one. I think, you know, Matt, you mentioned earlier on the five o'clock hour, Marco Kalanovic from JP Morgan was on the other day, and he's envisioning a world where we're past this pandemic, we're past this virus, and he wants to move into cyclicals. And I think that's also what Karen's just saying right there. Um, you know, on our next question, I think I don't want to step on it, but I think there's a, a couple groups that make a lot of sense, especially this market needs to broaden out. When you have two companies, Amazon and Apple, that represent $4 trillion in market cap, each up over 85% on the year, over 100% from their March lows, you say to yourself, how much longer can this go on and how much risk is to the broad market? So if you think the market's going to continue to rally, you're probably going to see a rotation into some other names. Um, and we saw that a little bit today, especially with Apple down 2% and the S&P 500 closing up 1.5% on the day. All right, let's get to another tweet here. Patty asks, bank stocks and ETFs, thoughts on investing now? Karen, this is your wheelhouse. Yes, this is my wheelhouse. It hasn't been the very fun wheelhouse during the pandemic, I have to say. Uh, but I do own the big three, JP, actually four, JP Morgan, Citibank, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo. They all have a little different element to them, but they're all going to move together. So clearly the market is rightfully worried about very big credit losses. And so the banks have been writing off or provisioning billions of dollars, and they will continue to do that for several more quarters. 
the market, I think, is excessively punishing them for um, how bad the credit losses will be. This is a very different industry than the 2008 credit crisis. And so I think the valuations here are attractive, but the market clearly disagrees with me. But we'll start to see. I think October 14th or so, 16th, uh, JP Morgan will kick off the bank earnings season, and I think then investors will start to look towards 2021. So I, I, when I always say if you go home long a stock, that means you would buy it right here. So I would, I would start, if you don't own any bank exposure, instead of an ETF, I would start with JP Morgan, the premier name in the industry. Bonwin, what do you think about banks and whether or not they've been overpunished? Yeah, they definitely have been overpunished and haven't participated in the rally. But, I mean, honestly, I give them a lot of credit for being transparent and provisioning for losses. It seems like so many of these other sectors have completely disassociated themselves from what, the, what is going on in the real economy. And I think the banks actually have a pulse on what's really going on. Um, in addition to a lot of Karen's comments, and this is really her wheelhouse, what I will add is that a lot of these banks are trading at... Aside from J.P. Morgan, which is always going to trade at a premium over book because of where it stands in the sector. But a lot of these are trading at or below book value. That's when I start to see bargains. And so, yeah, I've, um, I've started dipping in myself. So much more total request fast money to come. We'll go dipping into dividend plays with Verizon. And then what is brewing in NTAP? You ask, we answer. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money, where we're answering your most pressing stock questions. Our next one comes from Jason in Minnesota. He's on the hunt for a dividend play. Hi, guys. This is Jason from Albert Lee, Minnesota. I currently have long positions in Apple, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and Hormel. I'm looking to add Verizon to my portfolio as a dividend play. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this stock? Thank you for taking my question. Hmm. Bonwin, what are your thoughts on Verizon? Listen, I think it's around 58, 60 bucks, and it ran up a little bit today. It's got a Ford P of about 12, which is in line uh, with where it's been historically. Um, I think, I, listen, considering the names that you have on, I think this is more specific to you. Considering the names that you own in your portfolio, I think something like this makes sense. I just don't think it has the same upside, but it doesn't sound like that's why you're playing. Looking for a bit more stable cash flow generation. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's, that's a sound sound investment strategy. Karen? Uh, I'm going to echo what Bonwin said, and I like how he often thinks about portfolio management, not just an individual name. Sounds like he has a pretty good diversified portfolio. I personally don't like to buy things for a dividend, as that being the main reason, because it, you know they can cut the dividend or the market can move and it could trade through with the value of what that dividend was uh, for no particular reason. So. I understand the, the desire for it, but I, I think if you have a good, nicely rounded portfolio, but there is room for something like Verizon. It's not crazy expensive. Um, so I actually think that would work. That would work fine. And I agree with Bonwin that it's not super exciting, but also it shouldn't, it shouldn't have a ton of downside either. Dan? Yeah, so I would kind of 
stay away from Verizon at this point. Just had this big run here. I look at AT&T, and I'll tell you why. 7% dividend yield here. The stock is down. I think it was trading above 38 pre-pandemic or, or closer to 40. So here you are, just below $30. Um, you know, the company said they're going to look to uh, offload DirecTV. That was an acquisition that they made five years ago, paid $49 billion for it. It is a declining asset. And I love the idea that they are looking to cut their losses. And what are they going to do with the cash for that? Pay down some of that debt. You know why? They just bought Time Warner two years ago, paid about $85 billion or something like that. That's one of the big things holding this stock back. So to me, AT&T, there's a catalyst. They got that dividend yield. The stock hasn't participated. Um, maybe you see some money move into that over the next few months. All right. Next question comes from Jonathan in New York. Hey, what's going on? My name is Jonathan Farber. I'm calling from Long Island, New York. And my question was about the stock and company NetApp. So in this industry, it seems like there's a lot of change with the cloud competitors, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, and there are a lot of other companies that are fighting for market share in the hybrid cloud model, such as NetApp. So I was just wondering what you guys thought of this stock or this company going forward. Bonwin, thoughts on NetApp? Listen, I think it's been about a two, two and a half year downtrend where it's been making sequentially lower lows and highs. So I think this thing has struggled. Um, the margins are definitely attractive, but um, I would wait for this thing to kind of get through that 200-day moving average. I think the stock's around 48, 49. I think 200-day moving average is a dollar too higher. I would need to I need to to see it hold some type of uh, some type of level because a long-term trim, sorry, long-term or medium-term trend doesn't look all that attractive to me. Yeah. Dan, what do you say about NetApp? You know, I think this thing's okay. I mean, you know, I, I see what, what Bonwin sees technically. I look at this company and, you know, the, the viewer asked about the hybrid cloud. I see um, a nine, ten billion dollar enterprise value, really good balance sheet. The thing is, there's no growth right here. So if you're a larger um, you're, you know, you're a large tech company. People have t kicked the tires on this asset, um, and it might really kind of plug a hole in a much larger business. So to me, I think you know, just look where the stock was banging around over the last few months. That is your downside stop, um, and I think it looks okay. It sounds like you know what you're looking for. This is a cheap stock. Maybe it's cheap for a reason. I don't think you have a ton of downside here, though. All right, coming up on Total Request Fast Money, remember that catchy Ace of Base song, I Saw the Sign? Oh, you know you do. You're going to curse me later on, too, when it's going through your head. DocuSign stock remained just as relentless as that earworm. And then is it still hip to be square? A question from an owner of the stock and user of the app. We're back in two. We're back with a special total request edition of Fast Money. So let's turn to a viewer question on DocuSign. Hey, Fast Money. It's Miami Joe. And my question today is about DocuSign. Now, I got into this stock in like the 150s, and it's shot up to above 250, where it is right now. Now, it has its earnings tomorrow, and I was wondering, do I hold this uh, parabolic stock through earnings or take it off the table? Granted, I have a high risk tolerance, so I'm, I'm ready to let it ride. <laughs> Miami Joe's done well by this one. Uh, Bonwin, what do you tell him? Uh, congratulations for getting in where you got in, but um, listen, take half of the position, take it off the table, you're roughly playing with house money. We've seen what some of these other names have done post-earnings, post Zoom aside. You know, we just talked about CrowdStrike and a few others that have traded down 
after blowing earnings absolutely out of the water. So I say take some profits here and then let the rest ride. Yeah. Karen, what would you what would you say in terms of risk management of this portfolio, this position? Precisely the same thing. I know he's, everyone feels they're not risk averse when they think they're going to make money. And then when you lose money, you feel like, oh, I guess I was a little more risk averse than I thought. So maybe you can take, maybe you don't need to take half, maybe take a third off. Just something so that you feel like, you know what, uh, I, I was, I, I'm going to live to fight another day for sure. And that's going to be the way to build a lot of wealth over time. So yeah. I would sell some. Longer term, Dan, your thoughts on DocuSign? Yeah, I mean, it's a great product. And, and, you know, this is another great example of the pandemic accelerating, you know, the use of a product by necessity, right? Pulling forward, um, you know, probably a lot of demand. So you're going to see much, much decelerated growth going forward once we get by this period. But this is a company that, that has recurring revenue. I mean, that's really the name of the game here. But it's a $49 billion market cap. I would have thought this was a feature on some suite, um, you know, of products maybe that Adobe has or something like that. But at $49 billion as a standalone, they're going to face, you know, competition from behemoths. And, you know, you know, we know that Jeff Bezos from Amazon used to say that your margin is his, his opportunity. I think that's the next stage of the game. These tech behemoths are going to start looking at some of these feature companies, one trick ponies and say, you know what, I can go after that. I can integrate that. I don't need to buy that. I can build that. So to me, that's the risk. The stock's up 250%. It sounds like you're already inclined to take some profits on a portion of it. That makes some sense to me. All right. Miami Joe, you got your answer. Payment processor, meantime, Square, that's up over 150% for the year. We have a viewer who wants to circle back on the stock. Hello, Fast Money. I'm wondering if Square SQ is a buy at this level. I'm a big fan of using the cash app, and my parents' restaurant utilizes the Square ecosystem for credit card processing. Um, today's pullback, does it represent a buy? And certainly with all the stimulus money, uh, the cash app has really seen the benefit. Karen, what do you say about SQ? Yeah, so I think the stimulus money has really been a benefit, but I don't know that that's going to be a continuing revenue stream. So, um, and the excitement about Cash App, I understand it, it sort of makes Square somewhat kind of like a bank, which trades at a very, very, very different multiple than what Square trades at. I also think um, that I love the company. I love how innovative they are. I love the vision there. But I think that small and medium-sized businesses will be getting hurt, that is, that is an important customer base to them, or their most important customer base. So the stock, even with a little pullback, has had a huge run. Um, it's just, I, I wouldn't be a buyer at this level. Dan? Yeah, I, I agree with everything um, that Karen said on that. The small business one's a big one. Listen, you know, if you started using the Cash App, though, during the pandemic, it's not very unlikely that you're going to stop using it. So those sorts of behaviors are going to continue. I think cash is probably going away. You know, that's been Jack Dorsey's kind of pitch, at least for that portion of this business and the small business in a box that they offer, the point of sale stuff and all the other cash management and all that sort of stuff is fantastic. I, I just suspect that 2000 and 2021 is going to be a hard year um, for that part of the business. Um, but again, this is a name, you know, our group has been all over this. Um, I will tell you, though, we kind of got off. We kind of got off sides a little bit a couple months ago when there was an analyst who downgraded, did a double downgrade. You remember that, Mel, mm -hmm. um, saying went from a buy to a sell because of that small business headwind. Um, it clearly didn't happen. But again, stock market mania. That's why it's participating. You buy this thing on pullbacks. Yeah. Uh, Bonowin, what would you say about Square? 
I mean, it's just another example of one of these parabolic moves that has benefited from stimulus and work from home. Um, but yes, Karen pointed out the uh, SME and, and medium-sized business exposure, and like we got to take that into consideration because that's not that's not where the debt's going. That's not where the liquidity is. That's Main Street, and that is what you need to factor in. It's just made one hell of a move, and I'd like to see a bit more consistent profitability from them before I put money to work. All right, let's get right to the point of this next question. Hey, what's going on? My name's Greg. I'm from Long Island, New York. I follow these great guys on the My Wall Street app who were very bullish on Pinterest back in July. And ever since, I saw they're up 40%. Wondering where you think the stock can go from here and the direction they're taking. Thanks. Dan Nathan, what do you think about pins? Yeah, I think intermediate term, I think the stock goes much higher. When you think about the global pie of online advertising, if you think about where these guys sit as it relates to social commerce, that sort of thing, um, you know, I think they're really well positioned and they are such small market share. So for me, I see in the future increasing partnerships. I think if Walmart and Microsoft were to buy TikTok, I think you could see someone buy Pinterest for a whole host of the reasons that maybe Walmart is interested in having access to that sort of platform and Microsoft for that matter too. Um, so this one is clearly in play. I'll just make one last point. When that stock rocketed last month after their earnings, you know, on a gap basis, they really narrowed that um, their loss. And, and that's the big thing that I think investors are looking at. So you have a 25% revenue grower. That's not probably going to change anytime soon. So I like Pinterest. I just, again, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but buy things up 100, 200 um, percent in a short period of time at all time highs is not my game. I have liked this thing. I have bought this stock on pullbacks. I just don't like it here. But keep it on your radar. We will have a pullback at some point. I mean, I would imagine this has been a pandemic beneficiary, Karen, of people at home. They're on these sorts of platforms more. We've seen it time and time again, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or Etsy or pins. Right. Well, um, kudos to Dan, who really has been on this one. But just as you said, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, or I'd rather actually be in Facebook. Um, just, uh, you know, the growth there has been tremendous as well. The valuation is a lot more attractive to me. And so who knows? I, I was, you know, it was interesting what you, Dan was saying about Pinterest as a potential target. I don't know if this regulatory environment, um, if that takes some buyers potentially out of the game, but he's been right on this one for sure. However, all that having been said, I'd rather own Facebook. And I do. That's where my money is. Well, there is still more total request fast money on the horizon. If you want to know if one cruise stock is set to sale, we'll ask our starboard of traders, the SS Bad Puns. Oh, this is terrible. Let's go to break. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money. We're back with our final viewer questions of the evening. This is one stock this investor is hoping will cruise higher. Hi, my name is Andrew Newman. I'm calling from Long Island, New York. And today my question is on Royal Caribbean Cruises, ticker RCL. Uh, Previous highs back in January had the stock price around 135. Today it's sitting around 67. After a nice bump in August on news that there was enough cash to navigate multiple quarters of suspended operations. Uh, With this in mind, would you recommend buying the stock at the current price, given that it's still 50% off the January highs? Thank you. Bonwin, what do you what do you say? I'll raise my hand and admit I was probably the first person to miss this bounce from the bottom. 
Um, so I'll, um, I'll eat my humble pie, but I just, I know I, I don't like it. Listen, if you have airlines that are in a similar situation where they're saying, listen, we're going to have enough cash to make it through the next few fiscal quarters, right? The debt balance aside, which is definitely an important aspect to keep in, important aspect to keep in mind, but they have all this business travel that kind of drives them. And if they're struggling and they can't fill seats, I, I have no idea what it would take for me to get on a cruise line right now. So I don't really want the exposure to cruise lines, coronavirus, as well as the leisure aspect, which is really doubling down on the consumer. I still think there's some pain to trickle down into Main Street. And I, this one, I just have a hard time buying even down 50 percent. I mean, this is the ultimate. The economy has reopened trade, Karen. Yeah, it is. Um, but I, I, I think you have to look. You can't just look above the waterline and see the pretty part of the boat. You have to look below the waterline and see where all the debt is. And this company has had, they had to, good for them for being able to get it done. To, uh, they had to take on a lot of debt to be able to last however long it's going to be before they can operate um, at anywhere close to a capacity to make money. So I understand the stock is still off its highs, but the enterprise value, which is not just, it's the stock plus the debt, to me, that's not, that's not well off its highs. So uh, I, I definitely like Bono. I missed the bottom for sure. Um, and if this is only a halfway back, I'll miss it again. But I'm, I'm not a buyer here. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I'd just say this. It's like missing the bottom in Royal Caribbean in the middle of a worst health crisis in 100 years, which was the poster child for flotillas of a coronavirus back in January and February. No, thank you. I mean, it's just not something you need to kind of dip your toe in. Um, you could kind of probably, you know, close your eyes and throw a dart at your board and you could have found back in March a stock that would have been a much better bet than deciding to buy Royal Caribbean. So up here at $68, $69 um, doesn't interest me. But I'll just say this, because you cut me out, Mel, in that whole bank conversation. And I don't know if you've been noticing this, but I've increasingly over the last couple of weeks becoming a little more constructive on the banks. The further we get in the year, the closer we get to what Karen said about those Q3 earnings in mid-October is the other side of the pandemic or closer to the other side. And then I would say to yourself, Rather than buying a Royal Caribbean, I'd look at a Bank America that's down 30, 35% trades below book, uh, book value. I'd probably do that over something like that RCL. That was going to be my next question, since all of you are just panning RCL. Uh, Bonham, I'll go to you. If not RCL <laughs> on, a, on a bet that the economy will reopen, then, then what stock? Oof. Um, you know what? I mentioned GS uh, maybe a week or two ago. I think it trades like 60%, 68% price to book. Um, that seems like value to me. It's right. lagged mm -hmm. and you're getting a value play. Goldman Sachs. All right, let's squeeze in another viewer tweet here. Puneet asks, what are your thoughts on Gilead? Dan, why don't you field this one? Yeah, this one's really interesting. So this stock had been left for dead. It's a stock that we've talked about for a long time on Fast Money, I know Pete liked it. He used to trade it off of that 60, 65 support, and he'd usually get a nice trade in the 70s or that sort of thing. Cheap stock, good balance sheet, good management. This remdesivir, this um, coronavirus treatment got a lot of excitement back in the spring. The stock traded, I think, as high as 85, and has round trip that entire move. So it's trying to find a bottom here. It's bounced off of 65 the last couple of days. 
I kind of like it here, man. I, I think that the story is going to be there's no vaccine in 2020. Some of these therapies are going to be the way to go. Some of this rapid testing is going to be the way to go. And those are going to be probably pretty decent plays if it looks like once we get by the election, no vaccines, then we kind of take it slow and we really lean into those other things that we should have been doing all along, masking, tracing, testing um, and therapies. Bono, and real quick thoughts on IBB or just biotech in general. Yeah, so you, you took the words out of my mouth again, Mel. Thank you. So the IBB is really how I like to play it. And the reason why is like I really think, right, it's not about the virus. I don't want to be honed in on one specific thing. I think the innovation is going to come across treatments, viruses, and everything. <laughs> so right. that's the way I'm playing it. That does it for us. We'll be back tomorrow with another supersized edition of Total Request Fast Money. So send us your questions. Shark Tank is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.